Welcome to our episode with the wonderful Leslie Howard from Northern California. And Leslie has become a death doula, which is a really interesting training to go through as a yoga person. And I have several friends and colleagues that have kind of combined being a death doula and yoga teacher slash yoga therapist and actually found a really wonderful way to be of service in the world. And as Leslie points out, we in yoga say that we're preparing for death. I mean, if you look at the chapters of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, in the end, it is very, very clear in the fourth chapter that this is why we're doing yoga. And yet so few times do we hear any yoga teachers talk about death. And in fact, I remember about 15 years ago, I was teaching a yoga teacher training and we had gone over Yoga Sutra chapter one and they just loved it. They thought it's the path to find liberation. And then we went through chapter two and you've got this, you know, almost a guidebook of living and how to live your best life and be your best self and come home to yourself. Then we got into the really fun chapter, chapter three of Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, dealing with all of the special powers that might be developed in this spiritual path. And then we got to the middle to the end of chapter four, when it started talking about death and preparation for death and letting go of everything and detachment. And they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this really the end of the story? Is this really what we're doing here is preparing for this? I said, yeah, you didn't know that. And they said, we don't like that chapter. We want to live vibrantly and live fully. We don't want to prepare to die. And so what I said at the time, and I still agree with it, is we don't have to do that work now. We can practice living fully. We can use all the different tools of yoga to live our lives to the fullest. And there will come a point in time where we may want to prepare for death and that we'll know when we are ready to do that. But I think what Leslie brings forward in this podcast is that we really don't know when that moment of death is going to be. And therefore, it might be advised to at least contemplate it now. And I think there's nothing to lose because in contemplating our death, we actually, I think, will be motivated to live to the fullest, to live with more joy, more presence, to connect with the people that we love, to let go of the things and people and places and travel that really isn't that important in the end. It it will help us focus and to get clarity about what we want to do with these precious hours and weeks and months and years that we have on the planet together. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I know I did. It's always a favorite topic of mine. We've had a few people talk about death and dying on the podcast, but every person brings their own unique spin to this. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Leslie Howard. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. This is our way of spreading inner peace, joy, understanding, compassion, kindness, and comfort not only to yourself, but to the world. We at the Yoga Therapy Hour and beyond are so happy to have you listening. Now let's get started and get right into our guest today. 
Welcome to Leslie Howard. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. So Leslie, why don't we remind our listeners, I know you've been on the podcast once before, but I'd like to remind them where you are in the world. I am in Oakland, California, and I teach live and travel and on Zoom. And so I'm here, there and everywhere. And last time, if anyone's interested, after hearing Leslie speak today, there was an episode on pelvic health, and you've done a lot of research with UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, and I think ongoing research, if I remember, unless that's Yes, as a matter of fact, it, we're, I have fingers crossed that we may get another grant for yoga for pelvic pain study, a bigger one. So that would be great. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So I can attach that episode in the show notes if anyone wants to go back. It's a great episode. But today we're going to go into something totally different. I mean, maybe there's connections and you can help us see what those are. But in my mind, you know, looking at pelvic health is kind of a physical body and pain, physiological body. And now we're swinging all the way over to mental, emotional, spiritual today. Yeah. What can we expect today? What are Well, okay. So I'll try to make the backstory brief, but I've always been fascinated with the pose called Shavasana. And the reason I'm fascinated with it is that I have personally had some very extraordinary experiences in the pose, almost exclusively with my teacher, Ramanan Patel, but he would put us into Shavasana and I would just have like out of body experience of, you know, seeing my body, you know, being above it, like my head, I felt like someone maybe was flashing lights in my closed eyes because my head would fill with light. And it was like extraordinary. And I would talk to him about it. And I was like, what is that? You know, and he's like, it's a good thing. Just go with it. And so I always had this kind of like nagging, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. there's something special about that pose. And then I got the idea I wanted to write a book about it, which I haven't done. But I started talking to my colleague and friend, Richard Rosen. Some of you may know him. He's written some great books on pranayama and he lives local. And he and I get together for coffee and philosophize. And, and I was like, you need to help me write this book. You know, it's the natural thing to help me with a pranayama. Anyway, so we've been working on it. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. I've been interviewing. I've interviewed a lot of the top teachers in the country about it, which has been that in itself has been interesting. Okay. So that was like part one. Fast forward to this year, I had one of my longtime private students was diagnosed with stage four uterine cancer. Love her. They told her she would have two or three months to live. And I thought, how can I assist her? And I've always been fascinated with death and all that. And so I took this death doula training. And I know that's kind of like very trendy right now, but I think it's just a part of a bigger movement about bringing death out of the closet. And that was a fascinating experience because one of the things they make you do in the training is to go deep into your own death. And... You know, I think a lot of us yogis, I'll say, are like, I'm okay with dying. I just don't want to have that long suffering death, you know? But when you're really pushed to think about it, I mean, they made you drill down, like you've just been given like two or three months to live, which was this case with my student. 
And we want to know, like, what are your regrets? What are the things that you want to maybe fix or can't fix? Then they would fast forward us. Okay, now it's a month before your death and you can't get out of bed. And who do you want there? Who do you not want there? What do you want in the room? And because of the amount of detail, it brought up anxiety. And I've talked to a bunch of the people who did it. And one person had to leave the room. He was so overwhelmed by the anxiety. And I'm like, here's people self-selecting to take this training and we can't deal with it. And so during that training, I thought, you know, what's missing from this exercise, which I think is so important, is yoga and breath work. And I became on fire about it. And I was like, I called Richard up. I'm like, we got to get together. We're going to take a different direction with the Shavasana project. And he's like, I like it. Let's do it. So we put together a workshop on Shavasana and asking the hard questions. So with journaling, with pranayama, with asana, and then asked a series of questions similar to what I learned in the doula training. And it was so well received. So many people were like, wow, the yoga really helped. Doing it in a group helped. I would ask a question and then we would take them through a practice. And it just turned into a thing. So that's how I became interested in this topic. Wow. So many things that you said just resonated with me. I think you may know that I had a cancer diagnosis a few years ago. And, you know, when you get that, you don't know if it has spread. Like, you don't know for six months to a year, even what stage you're at. You have to wait and see all that. So you have a lot of time to ponder. You know, you're lying there in bed pondering like, wow, what if this is it? You know, yeah. it's so funny that you started with us yogis say, oh, I'm fine to die. I just don't want to suffer. Well, that's exactly what I was doing. Like they're in bed, like, oh my God, tongue cancer is supposed to be so painful. Can I just, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not have to deal with the, you know, if it was that bad, which it wasn't in the end, thank goodness. But it's a whole different deal when you are really faced with it and it's no longer theoretical and I'm amazed. So what were some of the moments, some of the key takeaways do you think that people had with this workshop that you did? Well, like the flip statement that a lot of us say, I'm okay with death. Another thing people say, well, what do you want to do? A lot of common conversations are like, well, you know, what do you want after you die? Do you want to be cremated or do you want to be buried? Like, and that's about as far as it goes. And then maybe if you know the person, have you filled out your healthcare directive? <laughs> But the things we haven't done are these small things that really matter. So that's what the role of a doula. The role of a doula is to really support the person in a situation where they may not have a lot of strength. And why do they need support? Like you might say, well, this person has a lot of family around them or they have a whole hospice team. But a lot of what happens around that moment is family members will be like, you got to fight this. You're a fighter. And maybe the person doesn't want that. And so you find a lot of people trying to get better, not because they really have their heart in it, but because their family members are pressuring them to do it. Hospice is fantastic. You know, I'm volunteering at Kaiser Hospice, but it's not all inclusive. So let's say, you know, like your diagnosis, if you became unable to speak, right? It's your voice. 
And sometimes you want it to be a family member, but sometimes you're like, no, I'm not going to let my mother or my brother or my husband, you know, whatever. You might be like, no, they're not so good under, or they may try to do things they want to do and not what I want to do. So it's so important to have these things written down and with somebody in case that happens. So that was a big takeaway as much as also like I've been studying yoga for over 30 years. And to my mind, one of the things we're trying to do is overcome the fear of death. Right. Right. Like We suck at it. Sorry. Can I use that word? You can use that word. We are so bad at it. I'm saying as a society, but like, I don't think yogis are like anything special. And I think it's culturally, we don't talk about it. So one of the things I'm really fired up about right now is getting us to talk about it, to normalize it. This was my whole work with the pelvic floor. Can we talk about it? Can we normalize it so it's not so scary? Yeah, I think the fact that so many don't have their healthcare directives, they don't have their well in order. It's just something we wanna kind of put off to the side and we'll get to it one day, but not now. And so many people, sadly, their families in really challenging positions where everybody's fighting over sets and it's unclear what the person wanted. And, you know, my dad, he's already written the church service with the hymn. I'm relieved. Yay, dad. Okay. Like, I'm like, hallelujah. Let's do what he wanted. You you like that hymn? Let's do that hymn. You know, we don't know what he likes. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. But that's the rare bird that will do that. Yeah, I, I mostly work with people over 60. And another thing I learned about in my doula training that I really want the yoga community to embrace is the death cafe. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the death cafe is a concept. It's not a place and it's providing a place where people can come who want to talk about any aspect of death and dying. And so I've started one at the yoga studio where I teach in Oakland nest yoga and we do them every six weeks and they're now a waiting list to get in because we're limited on space. That's how popular it is. Okay. So creating the space of okayness of authenticity, like, okay, we're here with intention and we talk about all of it. It's great. Do they ask you questions and you answer from your death doula training or is everyone kind of sharing There's not so many rules. The biggest rule is it's not a grief group. So like don't come as active grieving because that's not what it's for. But it's more about pondering your own death. So a lot of people come in and say, I'm taking care of my mother who has dementia. She asked me if she got to a certain point to give her the morphine and like, can I do that? And it's made me think about my own death. So there are conversations like that. There's conversations. One one death cafe was about headstones. Are they worth it? You know, a lot of times, like we mentioned at the beginning, like, can't I just get a pill? Why can't I just have a pill in my medicine cabinet for when I've got the diagnosis and I don't want to burden anybody and I can just do it. Lots of really meaningful conversations. In some states, I think with doctor's approval and counseling, you actually can have that pill. Yes, you can, but it's not all states. And there's lots of, I believe in California, you need to have like three or more pretty big problems to get that okay. I know it doesn't seem like it's related to my pelvic floor work. However, there are some parallels because I feel that the medicalization of birthing has presented a lot of problems for women and the babies that are being born. And the medicalization of death has also 
right. presented a lot of problems. I don't think it's helped us. Yeah. You know, we all know that the most money spent is in the last couple weeks of people's life. And it's like doctors have this view of if their patient dies, they have failed. It's changing. There's this wonderful book called Being Mortal. Some of you have maybe heard of and it's by Atul Gawande. And he talks about this, like how, what a disservice as a doctor he has done by not presenting other options than this is how you're going to survive another week. Right. At what cost? And, you know, when you say the medicalization of death, it has removed the viewing for the loved ones. I mean, not that we can't be there by bedside, but, you know, when you think of how it used to be, they knew death was coming. The person would be in their bed. The neighbors would stop by. The family would be there. We get to see many people go through this process. So you kind of knew about it. Now it just seems like it's kind of hidden away. Maybe you'll get to stop by the hospital for 20 minutes, but to learn about the process and see your friends and relatives and parents go through it, it's almost like hidden now. are totally correct. I mean, 90% of people 100 years ago died in their homes, and now it's the inverse. Which makes us really uneducated about death and dying and how we would like to do it. Right. And if you look at Buddhism, you know, one of their practices is if someone dies in their community, they put the body on ice and you come and meditate on the body to meditate on your own mortality. And as I said earlier, like, I can't think of what are we all doing yoga for to become more aware, to realize we're not this body. We're not our thoughts. We're not our emotions. We are something more than that. And that something more than that never dies. The Bhagavad Gita talks about it. You were never born, you never died. So this is yoga. And I also feel that, you know, not just the asana practice, which is, you know, the bigger thing that people do, you know, that's great to keep our bodies healthy. But what do we do when our bodies aren't healthy is we can do pranayama, we can do breath awareness, we can do mudras. There's so much more to yoga that could offer and comfort people that are dying. Absolutely. All the subtle tools, even humming or creating sound, you know, even silent mantra, whatever your religion or spiritual path might be. There's so much there. I want to take a little different turn because I think you're going to get to this anyway. And that is when we contemplate our death, how does that change the way we're living? Yeah, that's a great question. So think about there's going to be a last time for everything that we do. There's going to be a last time that you hold your child because they're going to grow up. Meaning you pick up a small child, right? There's going to be a point where you can't pick up your 30 year old, right? There's going to be a last time that we kiss someone or see someone or make love with our partner. And we don't know when that is. Yeah. And so I do believe contemplating our mortality can help enrich those things. Think about like when you know you're not going to see somebody for a while, you're like, I got to see you. You know, you're a long trip. I want to see you. Right. There's this specialness about it. You know, like if you think about you never know when you're going to die, you know, that's the great equalizer and then frame your experiences around that. I think it profoundly changes how you view things and makes things richer. 
And even big decisions, because when I was lying there for those four months, not really knowing what my future was, I realized like, I have worked way too hard and I have not had enough fun and I'm not even living near the people that I love so much. So, I mean, it was the precursor to moving to Minnesota because I was like, whoa, we don't have as much time as we think we do. Right. Whether it's their life or our life. And, you know, so I think even big trajectory changes in life, if we're willing to contemplate death, can really take us in a whole new direction in addition to what you said, which is to be very present and to really enjoy the precious moments of our lives. There was a study, I'm not remembering what book I read it in. It may have been in the Gawande book, but it was about people as we age, we tend to want to travel less, spend time with a smaller group of people and do more like normal things, like just having dinner with families and friends. Right. And the hypothesis was, well, you're getting older and you don't want to do those things because you don't have the energy. But it turns out if you're a young person that knows you're going to die, that's what they want to do too. Can you say those again? Yeah. They're not about all these external experiences, but it was about, you know, the things that become important as we get older, like you see, not for, you know, not a hundred percent of people, but many, they start wanting to be with their family and friends more often. Work is less important. Doing like uh, novel things becomes less important. And it turns out young people who are facing their death, same thing. Yeah. So young people traditionally don't really value and not they don't value it, but they feel they want to go out in the world and they want to have new experiences and they they're okay being away from their communities because that's what life is about is exploring and stuff. But I think that that's an interesting fact that when we're faced with, I only have this much time left, how do I really want to spend it? And so to answer your question, that's why I think it can really enrich our lives. And I think even if we don't think we're about to die, or even if we assume we have 30 more years, that's still a really great question to ask. Yeah. How do I want to spend these precious moments of my life? Right. And, you know, as I said, we don't know, you know, you don't know I'm 60. I could live another 30 years. I don't think I want to. That's possible. But I'm like, okay, I'm in the last third of my life. Like, I really need to figure out how do I want to spend my time? Do you have any preliminary ideas about that that you'd be willing to share? Well, it's interesting because I'm at that age where a lot of my contemporaries are retiring. And part of me envies that, that they have all this time. But yet I don't really want to stop working. And of course, there's that old adage. No one sits on their deathbed saying, I wish I had worked more. But I don't feel like my work is so much work as much as it's it's so meaningful to me what I do. So I don't want to retire ever, I don't think. I can see kind of a maybe ratcheting down a little bit. Like I'm definitely COVID made me stop traveling and I'm not wanting to travel again. I'm like, yeah, that was good then. And I don't really need to be getting on a plane for and be away for a couple of weeks now. It is showing me what's important to me is spending time with the people that I love that mean a lot to me. And then knowledge. I feel like knowledge is something I'm a lifelong learner. I have a thirst for like just learning about things. And so do I have enough time to do that? 
you know, because the yoga philosophy says that all knowledge exists. We just tap into it. Right. And so that's really important to me too. Yeah. Did you know that the Optimal State offers a 200-hour yoga teacher training completely online? There is work that is self-paced and videos and audios and workbooks and flashcards and manuals that you can do self-paced. But then we also have a community that comes together every week for a question and answer, short lectures, a way to connect. So we hope that you'll join us for our 200-hour yoga teacher training. This is great for anyone who just wants to dip a toe into an advanced yoga teacher training or maybe a healthcare provider that's thinking about becoming a yoga therapist, but due to the IAYT requirements, they need to have a 200-hour before they can go into a yoga therapy program. Now, one more thing, we offer our 200-hour yoga teacher training for free if you end up taking our yoga therapy program. That's how much we believe in it. So we hope you'll join us, whether you're taking it for your knowledge or whether you want to make a profession out of yoga teacher training or yoga therapy training. We'd love the opportunity to talk to you about it and see if Optimal State is a good match for you. And do you feel a need to have any spiritual you know, achievement or getting to a certain place a certain samadhi or something before you die? Or do you feel like, you know, I don't, I really have no attachment to that whatsoever. I, you know, I kind of laughed to myself, like that's probably not going to happen. So like, why even like think about it? I'm much more interested in just being present, more present with people, especially in the age of ADD, where our attention is being fought for by Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, everybody I know is struggling with their phone addiction. And I don't know, when I'm sitting with somebody who's dying, there is nothing else. I don't need to check my phone. I need to be present for this human being in front of me. Explain for us what that means. I mean, I, I think a lot of yoga people know what being present means. If just a random person had run across this podcast, what does being present mean? Well, it's being present to, let's say I'm sitting with someone who is in hospice, being present to what's coming up in me around this. It's like I'm feeling uncomfortable right now because this person in front of me is telling me they wish they weren't dying. And how do I respond to that? There's the internal dialogue. There's the internal feelings in my body, the clenching, maybe the breath shortening and having presence of mind to not inflict that on this person. Can I try to get out of myself and imagine what it's like to be them right now? And I think this is the biggest gift we can give one another is to be present for someone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had a friend tell me a story once. She was assisting her family member who was dying. The woman couldn't speak and she really didn't know what the woman wanted. So she was just, you know, I'll bring you water. I'll do this. I'll do that. And she decided that she was going to try to rub her feet. She thought that would be a nice way to be of service and be present. And the woman screamed, stop, stop, get out, get out. So it's really hard to know what someone's needs are in that moment, mm -hmm. right? Like our assumptions of what someone might like at that time 
Right. It's not all people can't talk, but sometimes the person doesn't want to talk or sometimes the person just wants to talk and wants you to listen. You know, I was going to say as a continuation of my other thought about like what's coming up in me is I want to make it better. And I think that's what we do. It's like, this is really uncomfortable for me and for this person that they're telling me they really don't want to be dying. And why has God chosen me to die at this time and blah, blah, you know, whatever, whatever they're saying, can I just be present with their discomfort? Mm-hmm. Can I be present with my own discomfort and not try to make it different? Yeah. I think that's what the point I was trying to get to is we don't have to change it. We don't have to fix right. it. I mean, I know you probably teach this, like the degree to which we can sit with that discomfort inside of ourselves will determine the degree we can sit with someone else's discomfort. Completely. And, you know, we all know as yogis that our breath affects the person's breath we're sitting with and vice versa. So can my service to this person who is having discomfort around the psychological part of dying, can I help them take a deeper breath? I just can't think of like a better service than that as a yogi, you know, like it's just taking my teaching in a different direction. And I'm also thinking about like Stephen Porges and the whole polyvagal theory and co-regulation. I think we're all feeling each other's nervous systems all day long, but I've noticed when I've been, you know, really ill or, you know, some of these type of situations all of a sudden it's very clear to me which nervous systems I don't want anywhere near me. And I don't feel bad saying so. Right. I don't have the energy to manage that nervous system and my nervous right. system. Right. You know, and it, it's, it's the question of who do you want around you at your deathbed? Well, you know, there's people in my life who'd be like, oh, what am I going to do without you? You know, it's all about them, right? I know some people in my life would be like that. I can't imagine you not being here. And I'm like, this is not my problem. I don't want you by my bedside. <laughs> I think what was surprising to me though, and it was on a much smaller scale because I wasn't dying, but I had limited energy while I was lying there for all those months healing. It was surprising to me who I thought I was very close to and who I thought I wanted to be with me. But when it really came down to it, I just couldn't. And I was shocked by that. I was like, oh, and it it usually revolved around people that I had to take care of. Right. I'm the sick one. Yeah. I never realized until those moments that I even was having to take care of them so much. But it became very clear. Right. Well, when you have a lack of energy because of illness or dying, things get distilled down, right? You know, Amy might be this person who feel is comfortable taking care of people in her life, but when she's sick, she doesn't have that energy. So all of a sudden you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. It was shocking though, Leslie. Like I was like, whoa, how could I be hiding that from myself? You know? And I would imagine going to beat yourself up about it. I would be like, wow, interesting aspect that I learned while I was recovering. But I would think, you know, if it truly was the final days of death, do you think that's some of the things that come up for people are shocking to them? Regrets or realizations they have in when they Um, have to be honest in the end? 
Well, that is part of my message that I want to bring out there into the yoga community because that's my community is that. And we all have regrets and we all have difficulties. I mean, we all know somebody who hasn't talked to their family member in, you know, three years because they had a falling. You know, I think when you are close to death, the thing that you were so in, like mad about becomes less important or the thing you were so dug in about becomes less important. You know, my dad's a minister, so he's helped a lot of people, you know, go through this process. And he always said, and I want to get your opinion about this. He always said that it was shocking to see who would be in the room when people actually died. Like someone's spouse might be there for 24 hours straight waiting for that moment. And then they go to the bathroom and boom, it happens. Yes. What What do you think of that? Um... Well, I think that in some ways, the person who's there 24 seven may not be consciously want that person, like send a message to that person that they don't want them to die. But because the person dying knows like they're attached to it, that they wait. I do think that's a true thing. Animals do it too. Yeah. It's a really common thing that you leave the room for 10 minutes and you come back and wait. You're like, what? I missed the moment. On some level. I mean, it does make sense that especially if we're having trouble delinking from this human body and experience and loved ones, that it would be hard to let go and with them sitting right there. Yeah. But people feel so badly when it happens. And I, I think one message I want to get out today is like, I think it's, a beautiful thing that they loved you so much they couldn't go with you sitting there, you know? Right. right. Yeah. There's this beautiful book called The Five Invitations by Frank Ostateski, who was one of the founders of the Zen Hospice in San Francisco. Something he said in his book was, you know, dying is hard work. Mm. If you think about like coming into the world, I know it's a lot of work for the mother, right? But it's also, it's hard it's hard journey to come into this world. Why would it not be hard to go out? And so he's like, dying is hard work and it's a lot of work and people don't realize how much effort it can be. Yeah. You can either yeah. find it or you can go with it. Oof. I know. So, questions. <laughs> I know. I know. And I think, you know, one of the things you said in what you wrote to me is it's going to happen to all of us. We're not escaping this. Yeah. And yet we don't want to spend the time preparing. And a lot of people don't, I should say. Yeah. It's definitely shifting. I definitely see a shift. These death cafes, you know, there wasn't one in Oakland. I started one in Oakland. It's full. Now there's one in Berkeley. There's one in San Francisco. So I think just that offering a place, you know, hospice, of course, has just grown in its popularity of people wanting to die at home and having hospice rather than being in a hospital. It's definitely changing, but you know, like anything that gets entrenched, it has to become a movement. This whole thing about burial, like as a yogi, do I care about the planet? God, I care so much about the environment. Both being buried in a casket and embalmed and being cremated are really bad for the environment. Some people don't know that, you know, and now there's all these creative things that they're doing. You know, there's green burials. My friend just took her mother who has cancer to this seminar on all the choices you have to do once you're gone. And one of them was they put you in this container with these type of mushrooms. 
that will decompose the body. It just basically, you really do go back into the earth. I was like, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that he did that, right? Or a tree pot. I've seen these ones where you basically become a tree, I think. I think it's maybe a green burial part. I'm not sure. I know my mother-in-law, when she passed, wanted a green burial. And there's very few places that have them, meaning no embalming, no headstone, nothing on the body that doesn't decompose. Like she couldn't wear polyester or anything. All we know, if we want to visit her gravesite, we know that we've got the location. We've got the GPS thing. If that was important, you know, to go to where the body was. Another thing that you wrote about that is interesting to me is this idea of legacy. And I have two thoughts about it that I'd like to get your opinion. On one hand, how wonderful to be of service in this world and have a legacy. But on the other hand, a hundred years from now, nobody's probably going to remember us, you know, great grandma, Amy and Leslie or, you know, whoever the thing we did or have been doing is such a small drop in the bucket of humanity. Like it probably really doesn't matter. Oh, it matters. <laughs> okay. Convince me. Okay. So, so can you be an environmentalist and can you say, oh, I should wash that container and then recycle it, but I'm just going to throw it in the trash. I couldn't live with myself. I've done that once or twice. I'm like, can't do it. It bugged me, right? So that's just a little thing. First of all, legacy. What legacy could be your child. Legacy could be a garden. Legacy could be a tree you planted. Legacy could be a poem you wrote, a song you wrote. So many things could be your legacy. And there are many things that endure and maybe we don't know who started them, some beautiful thing, but does that matter? Yes, that's the crux of the issue. I'm more comfortable with legacy if it doesn't matter. Like you contribute yeah. this beauty it's to the world. It's the right thing to do. Because you want to do that. But to me, that's just doing the work of being a decent human. To me, that doesn't require a legacy. Well, and I think we can agree there's a lot of people not doing that. So, right, there's a lot of people not being a good human right now. And so, like, you and I trying to be a good human and leave a legacy of caring or awareness or pelvic health or whatever our legacy is, isn't that a good thing? And again, a major tenet of yoga, non-attachment. And doesn't it say in the Bhagavad Gita, like, to not be attached to the fruits of your actions? Yeah. Right? That's a big one. Yeah. So, okay, I need to pay my mortgage and eat, right? So I do need to work for a living. I do need to ask, I need to charge for my services. But I've just decided my legacy, I'm giving everything, all my work away. Mm -hmm. Like, I won't need it anymore. All my online education, free. All of my book, free. Because I don't care anymore. I won't be around. I don't need it. And I think there is power in what you call the insignificant. Like there's this wonderful book. Sorry, I do read a lot. 4,000 Weeks. If you haven't read that, that is such a good book. But there's a chapter called Insignificance Therapy. Just what you're saying, Amy. If you're fretting about something, just know that 100 years from now, no one is going to remember it or care about it. Get over it. And I love that. I mean, that made me laugh out loud when I read that. Who would even say even a few years from now, that's probably yeah, most yeah. people are running over. Yeah. I mean, he makes the point, you know, how many Michelangelo's, Da Vinci's, Einstein's have there been, right? A handful. 
most of us are not that like just accept that yeah and that is one of the things i hear in the death cafe is i i need to know that my life mattered of course it matters it matters to the people around you but why does it need to matter 100 years from now right it doesn't i think there's many people that are going around doing really good pure work and relationships and somehow think that that's not enough because they haven't published a book or yeah whatever xyz criteria that you need to have to have a legacy so i love how you defined it it could be a tree you planted it could be a child you helped raise kindness just being kind people say what's your religion kindness it's like if i can spread some kindness that makes someone else more kind what better legacy is that i don't need to be remembered for that i am remembered by the action of someone else being you know there's this whole thing in this shavasana workshop that richard and i are doing the last shavasana workshop is you know when we were talking about the legacy question I thought, like, how can I tie it to yoga? And I thought, you know, some of us have heard, like, we're breathing in some of the air that Thomas Jefferson breathed or Mahatma Gandhi breathed, right? That's actually a fact. And I just love that. So our breathing out can be a legacy, right? Because it's going back into the trees and the trees are coming back. It's just like this, a beautiful thing if you think about it in a very meta way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for going there with me because I I think if you don't really think through these things, it's almost easy to become like a nihilist and just feel like, does any of it really matter? But then what do you do with that? I really tried to explore all the avenues. I'm like, okay, so if I if it doesn't really matter, then what? Should I just end it now? Or should I just go out and party all night? Well, that's not something I want to do. You know, that's something that probably you and I have in common that it feels good to put the recycle in the correct thing. But I don't think that's true for everyone. And you and I also have our blind spots, things that (laughs) probably should be doing and we're not. So it's not like we're, you know, up on this pedestal. Yes, agree. It's interesting to just think through that. That hasn't been embedded. Doing the good kind thing hasn't been role modeled for people. It hasn't. That's really true. Yeah. You know, I'm also politically active and I always think about how can the two sides talk to each other like human beings with kindness. And I've read many books on the subject and you can't convince anybody of anything. All you can do is be an example. Yeah. That's that's what the studies bear out on that. And I'm like, oh, have I heard that before? (laughs) Like in yoga? (laughs) Like right? Like Gandhi, all you can be is an example. So when I think about maybe someone who influenced me about recycling, it was someone who was actually better at it than me. And I was like, wow, they recycled that? I never thought of that. They didn't have to tell me anything, say anything. I was like, oh, you know, like just learning by exposure, right? It's true. (laughs) You're in Minnesota. They are recycling kings and queens and princes. Like, I am shocked at all the recycling. And it does. It's kind of fun now. I'm like, ooh, things I didn't even think to do in California. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we can go down the path of God. The world is a horrible place right now. And it is for many reasons. 
But if you look at it again for the long view, actually things are better. Living through what we're living through right now, it seems like, yeah, right. But think about all the plundering and pillaging and killing. I mean, think about all of the wars and people coming into your village and just burning it to the ground. And, you know, I mean, yes, I recognize that's happening now, too, but not at the scale that it was happening. So things actually are better. Okay, so my final question then, and I think a lot of yoga people are struggling with this. I just keep hearing it everywhere I go. Are we allowed to be happy and content and have pleasure and find joy during these difficult times? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a question I struggle with all the time because I feel so like, what can I do? What can I do? And I think a lot of us are in that position. And I've asked a lot of people, whenever I'm in the company of a wise person, I ask some variation of that question. And the best one I got was from my teacher, Ramanan. And it was during the first Iraq war. And I was like, I just, I think about it all the time. And, you know, I'm up at night thinking, and he's like, can you personally do anything about it? And I was like, no, I mean, I can get involved in the political process. He's like, okay, well then do that. Yeah. And so the question is, don't take away from your happiness. Be grateful for everything that you have. Hold those people close that you love and have joy and dance like no one's watching that whole thing, right? And what can you do? If you're really concerned about the suffering on the planet, what can you do? And there's an endless amount. That's another thing. I feel overwhelmed. Should I, should I be working on the environment? Should I be helping people die? Should I be helping people's pelvises? What should I do? You know, and it's like, well... You can either go deep into one thing or you can try to do like two or three things. You know, like I'm talking about death in the yoga community now. That's something I feel like is a service and I do it joyfully. We laugh at the death cafe. I know it doesn't sound funny, but there are funny stories too. There's actually quite a lot of funny stories around death. Yeah. And I would even argue that a yoga person who wants to help people have more pleasure and joy that's actually a good thing too at this time. Yes. We need more joy in the world, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Spread the joy. Like, you know, when you're happy and in a good mood and you come in and get your coffee and you're like, Hey, how are you? and you just, you know, or vice versa, or there's someone at your coffee shop who you love because they're just such an upbeat person and how that just puts you in a better mood. So I want to personally just thank you for, doing this podcast, you're reaching people, you know, I'm reaching people, you're reaching people. And this is how movements happen is person to person. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. Well, thank you, Leslie, for being here with us today to talk about death and life and, and how it's related to yoga. It really truly is very related. And do you have more of these workshops coming up with? Um... I do. I have, if you're local to Northern California area, Richard and I are doing one in March. It's on my website. My website is leslieHowardYoga.com. I'm doing one in San Francisco in May. And then I'm also, I just got off the phone with Yogaville in Virginia and I'll be doing one there. So yeah, I'm around. All right. Well, thanks, Leslie. And until we meet again. Thanks so much.
Thank you for listening today. That was such a beautiful episode with Leslie. And it just occurred to me that in addition to attending these workshops and the death cafes that she's talking about, which are available, you know, I think all over the United States, something that we offer here at Optimal State is yoga nidra training. And we have a free 12-day training where you just do yoga nidra every day. We deliver one to your mailbox. I think it is. Well, it's a Kajabi course, actually. And so you get 12 yoga nidras. So you could do that one for free. And we have a yoga nidra facilitators course. And so that might be something that you'd be interested in diving into to help prepare for your own death, go deeply and find self-connection and be comfortable with that process of surrender and letting go. So if you'd like to join us for either of those, I'll put them in the show notes. You can look those up. And another thing you might consider is our Monday night yoga therapy clinics. Every month we are choosing a different topic. We have a lovely sangha that gets together on Monday nights and we do a little mini lecture. We do about 30 minutes of postures. Then we do about 30 minutes of breathing and meditation. Then we come back together at the end and check in. It's just a great way to spend a Monday night. So if you're interested in that, I'll put that in the show notes too. All right, have a great day and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Yoga Therapy Hour and Beyond. We love to give you the gift of this podcast each week, and we'd love your support. You can support us through becoming a Patreon member. You can download the Optimal State mobile app and join as a member of the mobile app community. You can give us a great rating on the platform that you listen to this podcast on and many other things that would help us. Contact us if you'd like to be of support. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to our continued relationship with you. A special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.